Um, it's an honor to do this every time. I, I will tell you, I am working on speaking slower. Because if you know me, I don't. Because my brain goes a million miles a minute. And so I am trying. So, like, if I start, like, going too fast, I was going to have signs that just say, slow down. I was going to hand them out to people. But, you know, just... Just bear with me, I'm doing my best. So um, some of you know my story in this room specifically, but I just wanted to share. This room used to be an activity center. And in 2005, 2006, through for a few years, every single Friday night, there was a, a worship time here called Hungry. And it was open to all young adults, anybody who wanted to come and just worship. And it was, like, one of the, my favorite ways where you just come and you don't necessarily have to even, like, do anything about what's on the screen. But you get to just be with Jesus. And, you know, I, I let you know that you're allowed to do that on Sunday mornings as well. You don't have to stand. You don't have to sing. However you want to engage with worship on Sunday morning, you're allowed to do that. But Friday night was just so powerful. And so in 2006, I found myself in this room for the first time, and it obviously looked very different. I'd been invited by someone from a different church who said I really needed to come to this prayer and worship night for young adults. I was an emotionally broken, physically sick, and spiritually hurting person. And Jesus met me in this place. He met me through this simple space to just be with him, to be in a room where others were singing songs whose words I didn't even fully believe anymore, but desperately wanted to. Every Friday night we met here, and I sat literally like where the Rodriguez clan is. There was like a square, and I joked around with Jeremy when we were doing the like reconstruction. Like if you would have pulled up that square and done a DNA sample, my snot and tears were covering that square because there were sometimes literally all I could do was just lay on my face. And the Lord was just restoring and building and renewing my life in ways that I never thought possible. It was incredible. Um, and one evening while I was here, you know, Jeremy said we could have art, we could have our Bibles, whatever we needed. And so one night I felt prompted by the Lord to look up Jeremiah 29.11. And as a girl who grew up in church, I honestly think I may have rolled my eyes at Jesus like, really, dude? Like this verse? As I flipped in my Bible back to that passage and read it. But once my eyes fell on that verse, I felt the Lord urge me to read the whole chapter. So I did. And my eyes were open to the Lord and the Lord's work in my life. The Lord's mission on this earth in a completely new way. So we're going to read, a, like Jeremiah 29, the beginning of the chapter. But before we read it, I want to caution us. Some of us in this room have read that verse, like I did, through a Western individualistic mindset. That the Lord has a plan for me, right? However... God is speaking through his prophet Jeremiah to a very specific audience in a specific place and time, his people who have found themselves in exile in Babylon, the very same captivity where Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. This is Babylon. So let's read it together. We're going to have it up here on the screen. I like the New Living Translation. I feel like it's a really good paraphrase. It's not an exact, 
you know, Hebrew to whatever, but it gets the essence of things. So that's the version that I like to use. So this is what um, the letter from Jeremiah to the exiles. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for? Let, let, let's try that again. You will be in Babylon for? All right. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again for, say it with me, I know the plan. I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for and not for to give you and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. How many of you have read that before? Right? Hopefully some of us, right? We love to read our Bibles. But this like totally stood out to me. Just at face value, the context brings so much clarity to verse 11. First off, God made it very clear that he was the one who had sent them into exile. If you read through different parts of First Chronicles and, and um, yeah, basically it's First Chronicles, you'll see like all the kings, or, and even Jeremiah, like the kings were not great. The kings of Israel were not doing good things. They were doing awful things. It, like the words are like, they were like awful. I can't remember the word exactly, but they were awful. <laughs> and they were not letting the people actually worship God the way they were supposed to worship. They were using their power for themselves. And so God brought Babylon and took the leaders. It wasn't all of the people who went to Babylon. It was just like the educated people and the wealthy people and the smart people and the people who knew how to do business. They were the ones that were taken into Babylon. So honestly, it was God. It was God's judgment. But yet God gave the exiles very clear instructions. Build homes, plant gardens, have families, work for the peace of the city. And as I was looking up like Israel and Babylon and what it looked like, actually the, the, the Israelites were known for their fruit trade. They built trees. They planted trees and gardens and they were known for their fruit trade. They were known for their houses. They were known for the things that God had asked them to do. And what's also interesting, if you remember the story about Daniel, and I think it's even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they didn't want to eat the food that Babylon wanted to eat, right? Because they had a specific diet, a specific way of eating. They had a lot of fruits and vegetables. And, and that was a marker for their people that they actually ate healthy food. They planted gardens and they ate healthy food. But then the waiting 70 years, that rocked my world when I saw that. 
Because the promise that God spoke to them, the plans that God had for them, was something that they would never see with their own eyes. Ugh, right? It was for their posterity, for the Israelite people as a whole. And the story's incredible because it's King Cyrus who allows them to go back to Israel. And it's through the things that Daniel had done and all the, all the ways that the Israelite people had stood for the Lord, literally, right? <laughs> stood for the Lord instead of bowing down. And the way that God showed his hand to be powerful and mighty to the kings in Babylon was what led them to believe in him and say, go, you need to go back and build the temple. 70 years. Exactly. You look it up. Any time frame, it's always 70 years, whether it's Wikipedia or whether it's wherever. It's always this Babylonian exile was 70 years. Having looked a bit at the context of this scripture and, and the full picture, it is important to remember that these stories were not written to us. But there is purpose in these stories. There is something for us, right? We get to learn about the heart of God. This God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I read this scripture, it helped me just realign my life. Because as I came back and I was broken in this place, it was because I thought that I was supposed to be a missionary. I thought I was supposed to be living overseas. I thought that I was going to have this life, but yet I got really sick. And you guys have shared this story, I know. Some of you don't know it. I got really sick with malaria and almost died in India, and I had to come back. And I had to live with my parents in their basement with nothing. I had to get a job as a waitress at Cheeseburger in Paradise because it was the only place that had live music and I thought was fun, but I could only literally be on my feet for a few hours at a time before I needed to just rest. And it took nine months for my body to even clear up of the malaria enough to where I could function fully. And I said, God, like, I thought you had a plan for me. I thought my plan was this, right? Who knows that scripture? In his heart, a man plans his course, but what? The Lord directs his steps, right? And so for me, knowing that there's actually a 70-year plan that God had for the Israelites, that God is actually a generational God, that our little lives are just little portions of the big story that God is writing on this earth, it gave me so much hope because I was able to just then surrender and the tiny little things. Because what we see here is what he's asked them to do is to be faithful with the everyday mundane things. How many of us love the everyday mundane things? I do not. My house is not clean right now because I hate doing dishes and laundry. I just hate it. If you ever want to give me a gift, give me food I don't have to clean or cook or clean up after and I will be so happy. I do not like the mundane things. It drives me bonkers. But what it, what it allowed me to do was to realize, okay, there is a big picture here that I think that I can internalize about who God has called me to be and what God wants us to do. So when I look at how he asked them to just plant gardens, I mean, I like gardens. I love gardens planting. But bigger than that, I feel like the Lord was asking me, Lilia, what are you sowing? What kind of life are you sowing? What are you sowing into other people? What are you sowing into your own heart, your own health, your own spiritual, physical, emotional, physical health? What are you sowing? What are the seeds you are putting in the ground? 
when he asked them to build homes? You know, what kind of lives are we constructing for ourselves? What kind of life am I constructing? Am I constructing a life that is, that is built on the foundation of Christ? Or am I building a life that is just filled with consumerism and pride and comparison? What am I building? And then what kind of community am I contributing to? Obviously, he asked the Israelites to like marry and have children. But at this point, when I read the scripture, I didn't know if I was ever going to get married. We're never guaranteed that, right? I didn't know if that was going to be my thing. So what for me, what it meant was my focus was not so much on a flesh and blood family as much it was building community, building healthy community wherever I went, sewing into people, building my life on things that are going to last, not just on the things that are frivolous, and inviting other people into that. And then the, the, the last thing he asked them is to work for the peace and the prosperity of the place where they were planted. Are we working for the peace and prosperity of our homes? Are we working for the peace and prosperity of our workplaces? Babylon flourished because the Israelites were there. Isn't that crazy? Daniel had like this position. Babylon flourished. Even when we're in places where we don't want to be, when it feels like we are in exile. Are we still working for the peace and prosperity of the place where God has called us? These verses spoke contentment to my heart. That God is more concerned with the small, everyday faithfulness, the routines and rhythms that we engage with that bring true shalom. Because the word peace there is shalom, which is like an incredibly deep word that there are no English words for. Literally, when you look it up, it's like 10 words. Because <laughs> there's no real way for in English, for our, you know, even possibly Western minds to understand the depth of wholeness that God had created for his people. Wholeness in every way. That is shalom. No matter the season, God is faithful. But then yesterday, of course, as it always happens, right? I did a deep word study <laughs> on um, actually the verse 11, and I discovered something profound. And I don't know about you, but when I read the word plan, like for I know the plans I have for you. How many of y'all have plans? You like to make plans, you have plans. You know, I'm not so much of a schedule planner, hello. But, um, but people are, and I appreciate that there are people who like to make plans. Well, here's the deal. When we, the word we translate as plans in Hebrew is actually mahasava, I'm gonna butcher it, which means God's purposes, which bring, whew, what? God's purposes, which bring deliverance. That is his plan. My plans do not bring deliverance, but God's purposes bring deliverance. So when he says, for I know the plans I have for you, he's talking about Israelites' deliverance. Here's the deal. Their temple had been destroyed. Babylon had taken everything, had destroyed their temple, had destroyed everything, taken their top people, their king, the queen mother, it says all the people that they took with them to Babylon, and they were going to live there. But the plan that God has for them was for their deliverance. You guys, God is in the long game. God is in the long game. 
They had no clue that he was actually planning this whole thing. It was like a military. I mean, when I looked it up, it's like a military battle plan. I don't never play risk. You will never find me playing risk because I do not understand. I am not. But how many of you like to play risk or like those battle kind of games where you have to plan things or even chess for the love? Like I do not love chess. I cannot do it because I can't see the thing five steps ahead, right? But, but this is what God was doing. He was saying, this is bigger, so much bigger, and I'm going to come and deliver you. I am going to come and deliver you. So as Jeremiah was proclaiming this word to the exiles, those whose temple was destroyed, the city was destroyed, and who were taken captive, the Lord reveals his own battle plan. One that they were invited to actively engage with by being faithful in the everyday things. They would participate in the Lord's plan to deliver them and take them back to their home and restore them. It's incredible. And when I was reading this yesterday, it reminded me of a story in Colombia in 2008. There was this amazing rescue mission called Operation Chuck, which means like checkmate. (laughs) And it was the Colombian and the U.S. military working together. And there there was the Smithsonian actually wrote an article about it because they have a, a, like a whatever thing at the spy museum in Washington, D.C., like a display about what actually happened. But there were nine captives. Some of them were American uh, like contractors. Some of them were Colombian and some of the, the one lady was like French, but she lived in Colombia and they had all been taken captive by the gorillas, the FARC. And, um, it had been years. The one lady, Ingrid Betancourt, she had been captive for eight years in the jungle. The abuses and the things that she had dealt with were unreal. She read a book that says even silence has no end. And it was, it's incredible. But anyway, so what happened was they were all in the jungle and they got separated. They were all in separate places. The FARC were phenomenal. The way that they navigated the jungle, people were here, people were there. Nobody could really knew, know where they were because the tree was a cover and it was crazy. But then for two years, the United States government and the Colombian army had an infiltration plan and they worked for two years. The detail that went into the rescue of these people is phenomenal. Like even when they were sending messages back and forth, it was they made sure that they were in the jungle so you could hear the noises behind. So the FARC really thought it was FARC and not infiltrators. The way they did it, it was unreal. And even to when, like how they moved all the people into the one place from all the different places, because they were supposedly going to get a well check, whatever. So anyway, the, the helicopter lands... And the people are being mean to the prisoners. They're like, get in here. We got to wrap you up. We got to da, 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 da. And Ingrid actually writes about how almost traumatizing it was. Like, do I get on this helicopter with these people who are treating me awful? Or do I stay here and just refuse? Like, which way do I go? Right? It was awful. And so what happened was they shoved them all on this helicopter. They get in the air. They start flying, and then all of a sudden, the people who were there in the helicopter, like the people who had come, took out the main FARC leader, took him out. He was on the ground, tied up, and then all of a sudden they said, you are free. We are the Colombian army. Can you believe that? And they actually say that a helicopter almost 
like crashed because they were jumping and shouting and crying and they could not believe it. They were free. Isn't that incredible? It took years of planning and intentionality and strategy for their freedom, but they were free. And friends, I feel like that is what God is doing even in our own lives. The story of God's deliverance that he's written through the story of the Israelites in Babylon is the same story that's available for us. Because here's the deal. Some of us in this room, in this room, are living the 70 years past, right? We talk about generations. Some of your generations past have been through awful, terrible things. And you are here standing You are the ones who are breaking off the generational patterns, the generational sin. You are the ones who are starting a whole new line of blessing for your families. Do you hear that? Isn't that incredible? And so we know, we know that we live in what's called the kingdom of the now and the not yet, right? And God's plan is to rescue and to save us in this plan of the now and the not yet. And what that means is there are things that are going to take a long time. Again, in Colombia, we used to work with um, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and we worked with these um, specifically street kids in this one area of the city that was known for prostitution and drug addiction and all of that. And we worked with these kids who just did not know love. (laughs) They knew abuse. They knew hardship. They knew violence. And when they came to our, to our center on Saturdays, we loved them. I mean, everything, all of the activities that we did were so that they could understand what positive love was. My favorite was there was this slide into the ball pit, <laughs> which was a blast. And so the kids would climb up this little ladder and slide down the slide, and I would be there to catch them because they were sometimes scared because it was like a big old dip into the ball pit. And I would catch them and let them fall into the ball pit, and it was loving touch because some of the kids didn't know what loving touch was, what non-abusive, non-violent touch was. And that's what we did. We loved these kids and we, we just, we wanted them to know healthy, good love. And I asked the missionaries one time, cause you know, the kids would grow up and be teenagers and make really bad decisions <laughs> for their lives. And you, your heart would break. Like I thought we were able to like get them out of this. And I thought, and, and what Steve, Steve Bartell is the main missionary there. Um, he said, Lilia, he said, I just want you to know, though. He said, we've been here long enough. They'd been there 40 years at that point. He said, what we see is God breaking off the generations. And so what these kids are growing up with, they're slowly able to break off of things. But then when they have kids, that's when things really change. Because they know how to speak love and they know how to be kind and they're breaking out of the prostitution and they're starting their own jobs and their own businesses. He's like, it starts happening when they have kids. Isn't that incredible? God is a generational God who brings deliverance and healing and hope and joy and new life and transformation. He is in the business of restoring what was stolen. Do you hear that? In the business of restoring what was stolen. Some of us in this room have had things stolen from us. 
Some of us in this room have had awful things happen. And I want to let you know, God is in the business of restoring what was stolen, of healing what is broken, of delivering us. Amen? Amen. And so for those of us in this room who are Christians, we know that we are living for a kingdom that has not yet happened. A kingdom where all will be made right. Amen? Like we didn't sing the whole song of how great thou art, but there is that last verse, right? When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, come on, take me home. What joy shall fill my heart, then I will bow and humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. We are living for a kingdom that has not yet come, for a kingdom where every tear will be wiped away, where there will be no more weeping, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more pain. There will only be joy and delight in the Lord's presence. We are living for that kingdom. We are living for that kingdom. And we don't know how long it's going to be. Let's be honest. Some of us are like, come Lord now. Like now, really? Now? Hello? But what if he doesn't come for another thousand years? God forbid. Okay. But what if? How are we going to sow? How are we going to build? How are we going to live? Because the truth is we can't just keep our eyes on the sky and ignore what's going on around us. We have to live for the peace and prosperity of where we are. We have a job to do, right? So we have a life that is living for the kingdom that is coming, but we also live in a kingdom that is now, that is now, where deliverance from sin and sickness is possible now, where the stories of the past generations of our families get to be redeemed in our lifetimes. Stories of addiction, Stories of neglect, abandonment, abuse, pride, go down the list. All of the things. We can even be delivered of our own sin patterns and the things that we have invited to rule in our hearts and minds instead of Christ. There is deliverance now. There is a kingdom that wants to break in now. Fear, lust, discouragement, shame, pride, bitterness, just to name a few. Sure, y'all can fill in your own blanks. We are invited to encounter our deliverer here and now. Isn't that incredible? So not just 70 years, not just the generations that are coming, but even now, even now, God is inviting us to participate in his kingdom that is fully alive calling us out of darkness and into his light, transforming our minds through his Holy Spirit. There is power that we can encounter now, right now. And I just realized I'm done with my sermon. So we're going to see what God wants to do. And we're just going to, I'm just going to have my hands open because like this is really, that was really short, guys. Um, but I feel like there's just, there's something that the Lord wants to do today. And, and I don't know what it's going to be. And so I'm going to go to where I feel the most comfortable, which is the piano. 
and we're going to worship. Does that sound good? We're going to worship. And I'm going to just invite you, if you want to come up and worship, you can come up and worship. If you want to, oh yeah, thanks. If you want to bow where you are, if you find yourself in a place where you're just saying, God, I don't know what the purpose of my life is, and I want you, and if you're in a place like I was, broken and hurt and discouraged, and you just need to be spend time with Jesus, let's just do that together. Does that sound good? So for like the next 15 minutes, is that all right? We're gonna pray, and we're gonna worship, and we're just gonna let the Lord meet us in this place. We're gonna let the deliverer meet us. We're gonna let our savior and our redeemer meet us. We're gonna let the one who has the battle plan for our life (laughs) meet us and we're gonna worship him and be faithful in these moments to lay our lives down before him and just say, have your way. Does that sound good? Okay, I've never run out of words before, but this is what's happening. So (laughs) Um, so I'm just gonna play for a little bit. And let's just, if you want to stand, if you want to sit, if you want to lay down, I don't know, whatever you want to do. But I'm just um, going to play. And we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. Does that sound good? Yeah. So Holy Spirit, just come right now. Our Deliverer, come. Our Redeemer, come. The one who has the plans for our lives that we could never even think of or imagine, just come. We lay our lives down before you, Jesus. Let's do fear is not my future. Does that sound good, Jeremy? Fear is not my future.
strength. Hello, hope it's a new horizon. So if you're ready for a breakthrough, just open up and just receive. What is pouring out is nothing like you've ever seen, you've ever seen. Yeah. So, hello, peace, hello, joy, hello, love, hello, strength, hello, hope. It's a new horizon, hello, peace. Joy, hello, love. Hello, strength. Hello, hope. It's a new horizon. Well, fear is not my future. is not my story you are you are heartbreak is not my home Jesus you are you are death is not the end you are you are so fear is fear is not my future you are you are sickness is not my story say goodbye to things. We can believe that things are finished through his blood, through his sacrifice for us, taking on the burden of our sins. We can be free. So the words just say goodbye fear, goodbye guilt, goodbye shame. But if you have something that you want to say goodbye to, you can say goodbye to in this time in this place and just believe that our deliverer is in this room. That this moment was planned way before we even thought possible for us to encounter his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his power. So goodbye fear, 
left and right about people who who just can't sleep, who keep waking up in the middle of the night with their brains just spinning. And Lord, I just ask for peace right now over this body. I ask for true rest. God, we ask for peace in our homes. where there might be strife or frustration or arguing. We just ask for peace in our homes, Lord. Peace in our marriages. Peace in our parenting. Just ask for your peace, Lord. purposes that we cannot see right now. We need hope that you do have a battle plan for our deliverance, that you are here right now, that you are working all things for good. God, that we live for more than what we can see and what we can hear and what we can touch. God, we just need a renewed hope that this is not the end, that this is not the end, that our stories do not define us, you define us. Let hope arise in this place, Jesus. Let hope arise in this place. 
in a little bit more, just a little bit more. If you want to stand, I invite you to stand up this morning. If you need prayer, I want you to just come forward. And I know we don't have like, we haven't done all of our prayer training things yet, but I believe that that we can pray for each other, right? That that is something that we can do for each other. So if you need prayer this morning, I just invite you to come up. If you want to pray for people, you can even come up and just face the back wall so people know that you can pray for them. But let's just pray for each other. Let's just be community. Let's be brothers and sisters this morning and speak hope and life and peace and joy over each other. Can we do that? So if anybody wants prayer, you can come on and down. If people want to pray, just like Aaron wants to pray for somebody. Who wants Aaron to pray for them? I love Aaron to pray for me, man. (laughs) It's so good. Let's be vulnerable this morning. I know it's a lot. I know this is like the most random Sunday morning in a long time. But let's just do it. Let's just press in together with the Lord. Our deliverers in this place.
I thank you that this room is still a place where you meet us in our brokenness and our need. It's a place where we can come and, and hear other people sing words and songs that maybe we don't even believe right now, but we want to. Where we can encounter your presence, Jesus. Your presence that welcomes us just as we are, but is so gracious and kind to not let us leave the way we came. Jesus, we thank you for your deliverance. We thank you for your plans and your purposes, God. We thank you that you are the one who fights for us. That all we need to do is just to be still and call on your name. <laughs> 